You're listening to Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. On this edition, we'll hear about the reopening of one of San Francisco's iconic nonprofit cinemas and what it means for audiences to return to theaters. There's nothing like being in a theater with people experiencing emotions with strangers. And over the last two weeks of us being opened um, and actually having people back in the theater, it's just a feeling like no other. When you're streaming, you know, it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to kind of tune out. Being in the theater with being in the Roxy, uh, even socially distanced, hearing people laugh together. I've been just really amazed by how happy people are to be back here. I'm Laura Wenis, and this is Civic. Before we get started, at the Public Press, which is Civic's parent organization, we've been working really hard during this pandemic to pursue angles we're not seeing much coverage of elsewhere, or to take a more systemic look at the issues that are surfacing in the headlines. The San Francisco Public Press is a nonprofit, and we're inspired by the public radio model. That's the idea that people who are able to support the work that we do so everyone can have access to it without paywalls or ads. If you think we're onto something, we'd very much appreciate if you could show your support. You can do that by going to sfpublicpress.org slash donate or by helping us get the word out about this show. Subscribe on whichever podcast platform you use or leave us a review. It really does help. So thanks. Vaccination rates are rising and California is aiming for a full reopening in mid-June, which means that some of the businesses hit hardest by lockdown are starting to welcome guests back inside. That's a big deal, and it's emotional for any place with an audience, like movie theaters. The Roxy Theater, which is the historic nonprofit cinema on San Francisco's 16th Street, has carefully started the process of screening films for small in-person audiences. I talked with its director about that process, about a big film festival on the horizon, and the future of art house cinema. Hi, my name is Lex Sloan, and I am the executive director of the Roxy Theater in San Francisco. I would like to start by talking about Frameline, the LGBTQ film festival that runs June 10th through 27th. Um, because, you know, Pride has been canceled or the parade has been canceled for the second year in a row. But there is an in-person component to Frameline with a day at the Roxy on June 20th and a return to the Castro Theater on the closing weekend of our program or of the program. Um, you have previously worked with Frameline and you founded Outlook, the Roxy's LGBT film series. So... I imagine that you might have a lot of feelings about Frameline coming back like this. Can you talk about those? Yes, definitely. I am so beyond thrilled to have Frameline back at the Roxy Theater. Um, I started working at Frameline. It was my first job in exhibition, and I was the print traffic assistant um, running 35 millimeter prints up to the Castro projection booth. Really, it's beyond words. I cannot wait. It's going to be... So awesome. Um, really excited for the two films we're showing. Um, Baloney in particular uh, went to rush so quickly that we were able to add another show that night. Um, and I think, can you, you know, can you say what that is real quick for people who don't know? Baloney is a local documentary shot, I think, mostly in the Castro about a group of male performers. Um, and so, yeah, so really excited to have local filmmakers back at the Roxy. Mm -hmm. That's such an important part of what we do here. And so to know that like 
these filmmakers get a premiere with people, with their friends, with their communities that supported the film is just overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm hoping that we could talk a little bit more about in-person and the significance of people coming in person, because I'm reading that this whole festival is going to be available for nationwide streaming from June 17th to June 27th. And as a non-film festival person, I sort of get the impression that over the past year plus, since film festivals were among the first to get shut down, organizers have kind of figured out the formula for how to do film festivals virtually. But uh, I assume just because they're available for streaming doesn't mean that film festivals are necessarily thriving. Um, Are are film festivals okay? I hope so. I mean, film festivals are such an important part of this web, this ecosystem of filmmaking and exhibition. And, um, and yeah, I really, you know, I'm proud to see festivals like Frameline figuring out ways to thrive and be creative um, and try new things. You know, I'm really excited for their screenings at, at the ballpark um, with SF Pride. That's just such a creative way to, to get things to an audience. But um, speaking of audiences, you know, we're so glad we have virtual options and that that can actually reach a larger, larger audience. However, there's nothing like being in a theater with people experiencing emotions with strangers. Mm -hmm. And over the last two weeks of us being opened um, and actually having people back in the theater, it's just a feeling like no other. Um, When you're streaming, you know, it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to uh, kind of tune out and, and you're often doing it just in your own bubble being in the theater with being in the Roxy, uh, even socially distanced, it's hearing people laugh together, just like, mm-hmm. wow, you know, um, and, and hearing people clap together. And it's, I've been just really amazed by how happy people are to be back here. Yeah. Can you give the update? Um, how far reopened is the Roxy? <laughs> Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so the the Roxy is reopening slow and steady with limited show times and limited capacity. And as much as we can't wait to get back to seven shows a, a week, two shows a day, uh, with also the Little Roxy or a smaller theater, uh, we're just not rushing back into things. Uh, I think we've been very cautious over the last 14 months. And so we continue with that in mind. Um, but I will say for our opening weekends, We had a reduced capacity of 25%. That's about 48 seats. And we sold out at ratio Mm -hmm. at 48 seats. And that just gave me, it filled me with hope that people want to come back to the movies. So tomorrow we open Doc Fest. uh, So that's one of our longtime documentary film festivals. It's our first festival back. And we'll be going up to 50% capacity at that point. And Um, tomorrow, we're taping this on June 2nd on Wednesday. So got it. Okay. Maybe the what's the date that you'll be starting? <laughs> Yesterday. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Duckfest begins on Thursday, uh, June third, mm-hmm. and runs for two weeks here at the Roxy, and that has another great lineup of local films and local filmmakers. I think back in April, you told KQED that the key for you to decide to reopen the Roxy is San Franciscans getting vaccinated, or really that it boiled down to San Franciscans getting vaccinated, and we're approaching. I think 70% vaccination here in the city now. 
is that the light at the end of the tunnel you were looking for? Or have we reached the end of the tunnel, perhaps, when it comes to safety and reopening cinema? Uh, I definitely don't think we've reached the end of the tunnel, but I, I for sure see the light. Um, the first day that we reopened to the general public um, was uh, May 21st. And that was coincidentally the first day that there were no COVID patients mm. in San Francisco General mm -hmm. Hospital. And I was just like, yes, this, this feels right. Um, you know, vaccines were such and are such a part of the key to make sure our staff are vaccinated and safe to make sure our community. Uh, but also there were other keys, like making sure there was movies that we could show. <laughs> um, and you know, what the content is out there, because the pipeline has been so disrupted. Oh, can you say more about that? Well, yeah, I mean, it's with so many titles being pushed back films that were supposed to have theatrical premieres. I think uh, The Quiet Place is an example, not that that's a film we would uh, be showing here at the Roxy, but, you know, they they basically delayed their theatrical release for over a year till theaters were reopened. So there's a lot of content that hasn't had a theatrical release yet, but maybe has had a virtual release. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's kind of a whole whole new world out there. Uh, things are so in flux, but we're really excited about some of the films we have lined up for the rest of the summer. Yeah, what, what does that do to filmmakers? Because I remember talking with a filmmaker about a documentary that was um, scheduled to be shown, be screened at a film festival like March 15th, 2020. And then, you know, it was like, yeah. well, it's going to be delayed. Actually, it's not going to show at all. What happens to filmmakers and, and the crews and everyone who's involved with this when they just watch this kind of get put off and put off and put off? Well, I can tell you as a filmmaker who this actually happened to, um, it's it's really heartbreaking. Um, you, you know, filmmaking is such hard work and uh, it really takes just a community of dedicated people. And you get to finishing your film and you're like ready to share it with the world. It's just such a bummer to like not be able to to achieve that end goal of, of watching it together with the people that you created it with. However, I will say, you know, I've seen some amazing, tenacious local filmmakers who write after theaters like the Roxy closed and festivals closed. They just got creative and getting their film out there virtually and having amazing, you know, Zoom discussions, post-screening conversations that would have probably not happened. So there there were some like bright shining lights as to how filmmakers were able to negotiate the challenging last year. But I will tell you, we cannot wait personally at the Roxy to get those filmmakers who lost their, their theatrical premieres, those local filmmakers, um, to come have a real official premiere here mm -hmm. at the theater. Yeah. And you had mentioned that there is the that streaming opens up the possibility of a broader audience. Have you seen that actually happen? That audience audiences grow because they're able to attend from wherever? Yeah, we have a former member who watches things on our Roxy Virtual Cinema who now lives in Kathmandu. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. And she writes to me and I, it's like I have a pen pal in Kathmandu. It's great. <laughs> but um, yeah, we we definitely have people tuning in from all over the place, New York, um, in the South, uh, because we're just offering things on our virtual cinema that 
are hard to find anywhere mm-hmm. else. Um, just as the same as we do in our physical cinema. And actually, I wanted to ask you about that virtual cinema because I'm I'm just curious how you built this up. That seems like it's not nothing, especially for you know a place like the Roxy where you actually show like film, film, like you have 16 millimeter film being used, <laughs> you know, project films. Um, and not just how you how you built this up, but also is that going to remain part of your offerings in the future? So. We closed our doors on Friday, March 13th, a day I will never forget. Um, and within two weeks, we had launched Roxy Virtual Ooh, Cinema. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was that was a quick, uh, like we had, to, you know, everything changed and we, we were just making it up as we go along, you know, um, building the plane as we were flying it, so to speak. Um, but it, there, you know, there were some amazing distributors, film distributors, um, like Kina Loeber, uh, who created platforms and offered films to us through their platforms. Um, so we started doing that right away. And we found that, again, we were most successful with virtual cinema with local films, with having community partners. Those same relationships we had pre the theater being closed were actually quintessential to us being successful in virtual cinema. And while financially, to be honest, virtual cinema is just a drop in the bucket, it was not and still doesn't pay the bills. Being able to keep programming, keep our community engaged, keep people in conversations about important stories, um, that made it totally worth the virtual cinema, the effort to Mm -hmm. launch it. And in the beginning, we were using like Eventbrite. We still do sometimes. But um, about six months ago, we joined up with a network of art house theaters uh, to use a specific platform for virtual cinema. And that's called At Home Arts. And it's been um, it's been great. So, yeah, the platform is built. Uh, we've definitely seen a decline in people's interest in watching virtual cinema, I think, because it's springtime back. and people can go outside. Yeah and they can come to the movies but um you know there's still people that don't feel ready or safe to come to the movies so being able to offer something both here at the roxy uh like punk the capital and then also you know on our roxy virtual cinema um you know we built it so uh, as long as there's still titles that we can show we'll we'll continue to keep roxy virtual cinema uh, mm-hmm. going well so if virtual cinema didn't pay the bills what did during the pandemic? Well, that's a great question. Uh, it's It's been really challenging for the Roxy. Um, we, you know, uh, have applied for every relief funding out there. Um, and at this moment, the only thing we've received was the first paycheck protection program. Really? So, so Even much, City yeah, aid? so much yeah, we are waiting to hear back from a, a storefront grant, a community anchor storefront grant from uh, San Francisco wow. Relief Fund. So I'm I'm hopeful about that, but um, it's been just me nonstop. I mean, the, the team, I should say, just nonstop, like applying for different relief funding and really disappointing. We haven't gotten mm-hmm. it, um, but the Shuttered Venues Operators Grant is 
really critical life-saving funds that we are very, very hopeful that we'll get, and not just the Roxy will get it, but also the Balboa and the Castro mm -hmm. and the Vogue and all the other independent art house cinemas. Uh, so we should hear sometime this month about the Shuttered Venue Operator Grant and uh, and yeah, that would make a huge difference for us. And so how have you survived if all this aid that you've applied for hasn't come through? It sounds cheesy when I say it, but I really mean it. Um, we've survived through a lot of hustle, a lot of hard work from a small but dedicated staff, and then an amazing community, like just such fantastic community members who have contributed, you know, donated to us financially, um, streamed our virtual cinema. We launched a virtual membership program. So we signed up uh, over 400 virtual wow. members. And really, I mean, not just financially, but just encouraging emails people would send, <laughs> um, you know, th that really got got us through you know we were very fortunate to be a satellite venue for sundance right. film festival and did some screenings with fort mason so we were doing drive-in screenings which again not a super great money maker but a great way to be programming for a live audience and so little little events like that throughout the way have have helped and i will say our landlords have been very generous in offering us reduced uh, mm -hmm. rent uh, since we closed. So we really have a community that's lifted us up and that's how we've gotten through. And it's those same people that were like the first in line to right, when we opened the doors yeah. and, you know, um, and yeah, now we just need people to start coming back to the movies so that we can start continuing to pay all of those yep. bills. Yep. Well, and it's not like you're just posting <laughs> yeah. either because, I mean, you're doing all these things at the same time, but I also see upgrades happening. And, and you did operations at the Roxy before you were the director, if I understand correctly, and you've overseen a lot of improvements. That includes things like projection and sound systems, but you also focused on ADA initiatives. And um, you actually write in your bio that people should come talk to you about upgrades and operations. So so what about upgrades and operations? How are those going? And, and how else would you like to see um, accessibility at the Roxy improve? Accessibility is an issue, an issue that is near and dear to my heart. There's a huge audience out there of people who want to come to the movies but can't for various, you know, accessibility reasons. And especially with a historic theater, you know, a hundred plus year old theater. This building was built in 1913, so it's a delicate balance of keeping the history and what's so important about the space while finding ways to to make those upgrades. So yeah, I'll be honest, one of the things I am most proud of in the six years that I've worked here is um, being able to say we have an an ADA wheelchair accessible bathroom in the Big Roxy. Um, that there's nothing worse than having to say to someone who's in a wheelchair, I'm sorry, you have to go two doors down Ooh, to our smaller yeah. theater, the Little Roxy, and use the bathroom. And like, I was like, we have an opportunity to to change this. And again, through, I sound like a broken record, but through community support, um, we were able to get a grant through the National Trust for Historic Preservation, who's actually been super supportive of the Roxy over the years. And when we were able to get that grant to do the, the lobby refresh, I wrote to them and I just said, can we focus this on uh, ADA upgrades? And they were all for it. And so, yeah, that was a 
a substantial grant. And uh, just a funny side note is that we had planned on doing all the renovations while we were open. Mm -hmm. And in a way, uh, having to close and being closed for so much longer than any of us imagined we would be, gave us time to really do the renovations right and not rush it or try to, you know, just section off places in the lobby. So it really was um, something that came out of the pandemic that was really great for the Roxy, which is just sounds weird to say, but something that was great that came out of being closed for so long is being able to reopen with the ADA accessible bathroom, with air conditioning Ooh. that we've never had, uh, thanks to a generous grant from the San Francisco Arts Commission, um, which was funny. We actually received that grant uh, or applied for that grant before mm -hmm. the pandemic at, at the beginning of or at, uh, at the end of 2019, we applied for air conditioning from the San Francisco Arts Commission. And we found out about it pretty much right after we closed. And I was like, we had no idea how important <laughs> getting air conditioning and like circulation would be totally. for being able to reopen. So that grant was critical to us having. And then we were also able to do, you know, add the extra filtration, all the, the okay. extra air filtration. And yeah, wouldn't... But again, like that would have been very challenging to do if we were like mm -hmm. open the whole time. Um, so yeah, with lots of improvements. And then you asked what, uh, what I would like to see the Roxy yep. continue mm -hmm. to improve on regarding accessibility. Uh, I think one of the big challenges is that a lot of the movies we show because they are, you know, more rare uh, or hard to find don't come with the audio assisted listening tracks or the captioning tracks. Um, it's more a challenge. I mean, you know, filmmakers don't have the expectation uh, or distributors of supplying those needed tracks to make our headsets work and make our captioning devices work. And I've been tracking it for years, but I would say less than 10% of the titles we show actually have the accessibility mm. things needed. Um, so that's not so much an issue with the Roxy, but just a thing that the whole um, system of distribution and exhibition has a, a great opportunity to work on because again, the way I see it is th that's an audience that they're missing out on. And so um, I think there's so many incentives to make, to just make that like a given that every film is delivered with those tracks because right now it's very hard to communicate to a disabled audience which films of ours actually will work with the captioning devices and so that communication is so important um yeah i just see a lot of opportunity for all theaters to get in a whole new audience if they invest the money i'm speaking with lex sloan executive director of the roxy theater in san francisco I think media across the board have needed to reflect on and take action on equity issues of all kinds over the last year. And I was hoping you could talk a little bit about something called the Alliance for Action, um, which is about championing equity issues um, in, in independent film. Yeah, uh, the Alliance for Action is near and dear to my heart. I joined the group of... How would I describe it? Uh, my colleagues in film exhibition, distribution, uh, filmmaking, I joined it, this group Alliance for Action in 2018. Um, and, you know, more than anything, it's mm -hmm. been a support system. 
Um, and I think we all, you know, need support in talking through the challenges that different art house theaters, independent cinemas face and, uh, and also sharing things that we are doing well and that we've learned. And um, so it's been really one of my favorite things about working at the Roxy has been meeting colleagues from across the country that are, are doing similar work and um, and then working towards increasing that network, getting underrepresented filmmakers, films seen by this network of art house theaters through the Alliance for Action. So uh, it's been really great watching it evolve and figuring out its own values and, and how to make decisions. But uh, yeah, there's some exciting things in the works with Alliance for Action. And uh, I always encourage anybody in exhibition to, to join. Like I said, more than anything, having a support system and a network is so important when there are so few art house theaters right. like the Roxy left. But if you look at it, there's like the Northwest Film Forum in Seattle and the Hollywood Theater in Portland. And, you know, across the country, there's a lot of art house theaters that are nonprofits that are doing similar work as the Roxy. And so, yeah, it's been just a, truly a pleasure to, to find this. Can you talk about some of the inequities that you see in art house cinema and, and how you would like the Roxy and other nonprofit cinema to help address those? I mean, I think, you know, all, I, I would hope, and I think so many arts organizations, so many nonprofits arts organizations have had to really think um, about their policies and procedures and everything over the last year and really look inward and say, you know, what are we doing well and what, what do we need to do better? Um, and how can we create a more equitable industry? Um, and there's so many answers to that question. Uh, I think that for for me personally, and I will not mm -hmm. speak for the Roxy in this case, but I I think that as an LGBTQ filmmaker myself, making sure the underrepresented stories have a platform to be seen. You know, we really think about when we're programming, and I give credit to our amazing programming team. Um, you know, Isabel Fondavilla, our director of programming, launched Roxini, which is our Spanish language programming series. And we're always thinking about how do we build new audiences, right? How do we find, like, how do we work with relationships? Yeah. We're not just a movie theater. You know, we're so much more than movies. And I think that's what makes the Roxy really special. So how do we continue to build new relationships, whether that's with the Tenderline Museum or Poder or any other um, social justice groups in San Francisco? That is one of the keys to working through some of the inequities, um, really listening to the community and hearing you know, what they want to see and then committing to continuing to show, like I'll use Roxanne as an example, continuing to show Spanish language movies, even if they don't necessarily sell out every time. And I think one of the ways to change some of the inequities is to really think about how we define success. Is success selling out? Is success butts in seats? Because that's often, I think, how right. we've had to define success because it's really important. <laughs> you know, we need that so that we can pay the bills. But if a movie doesn't sell out, it still might be 
a success for a myriad of other reasons. Maybe it's the first time a filmmaker has had a premiere at a theater, you know? Um, so I think that that's one thing is just to like really think about how we define success and then to make a commitment to keep metrics. I'm a big fan of metrics. I know that sounds cheesy, but I really believe if you measure it, it matters. And so making sure we're always having female filmmakers, filmmakers of color, queer filmmakers, their work being represented. And sometimes that means we turn down other films that may have financially done better. That's a hard, hard decision every time. It's a hard decision, but it's like we are fortunate. The Roxy is very fortunate to be a nonprofit. We've been a nonprofit since 2009. If we weren't a nonprofit, I cannot imagine how the Roxy would still be here. And so part of being a nonprofit is that that's part of our mission to make sure those underrepresented stories and under, you know, represented filmmakers are getting screen time. And then uh, this is uh, something we look forward to launching into the world soon. Stay tuned sometime this summer. We're looking forward to launching a fellowship called the Moving Pictures Fellowship to bring into emerging Black, Indigenous, people of color uh, programmers to learn the ins and outs mm-hmm. of how we program at the Roxy. This is not an easy industry to get into for a lot of reasons. I've spent a lot of time in film school. I don't want to even say how much, but um, they, you know, in film school, you don't really learn exhibition. You don't know how the movie actually makes it oh. to the movie theater and gets to audiences. And it's, um, there's much like any industry, there's just a lexicon and a way people book movies and, and promote movies and how we do it here at the Roxy isn't how every theater does it, but there's kind of a formula. Well, how do people mm. ever get access to that formula, right? Because there's just not a ton of programming jobs out there, right? It's not, um, it's just not an easy industry to get into. And often it starts, and in the past it has started with people interning, you know, and working for free and working their way up. And we all know that, you know, working for free means there's a certain group of people mm-hmm. that will have more privilege to be able to work for free. And so that that's a pipeline into programming. And so Isabel, uh, our director of programming, and I, uh, and a few other brilliant, amazing people, lots of fantastic advisors were like, Mm -hmm. well, how do we disrupt this pipeline? And part of changing the inequity is disrupting things. Uh, And so we're, we're really excited to launch it. It's the first year. So we're hoping it will be able to grow and be sustainable and that people will be able to do a six month fellowship at the Roxy, put on actual movies here at the theater, build an audience, and then we can help connect them to our network through Alliance for Action through Art House Convergence, where they can go to other art house cinemas across the country or festivals and be able to continue continue programming. So that's something I'm just really excited to put out into yeah. the world and yeah, see Yeah, and it happens. sounds like there's so much excitement around all of all of the things in the Roxy's future. And one yes. of the cool things to me is people are just busting down the door to get back inside. <laughs> <laughs> they were. Yeah. <laughs> they were. We were getting members were coming knocking. Is what, the, when are you going to open? When are you going to open? Yeah, it's it's been absolutely fantastic. And I will say, you know, I so appreciate you taking the time to talk with me about the Roxy. Um, over the last year, we have 
built an amazing relationship um, with the the folks that run the Balboa and the Vogue and the great folks up at uh, Smith Raphael Film Center in Marin. And so, you know, San Francisco Bay Area mm. and the Grand Lake is reopening and Oakland has such amazing theaters mm -hmm. and we're all a little different, which is great. Um, and so just as excited as I am for the Roxy's future, like I am so happy for all the other theaters are reopening and I look at their programming and I'm like, I can't wait to go back there. Yep. So I know neither, that feeling. Neither can I. Lex, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this. I, I really appreciated it. And I learned a lot. That was Lex Sloan, executive director of the Roxy Theater in San Francisco. I'm Laura Wenis, and you've been listening to Civic. Civic is produced at KSFPLP 102.5 FM in San Francisco. Our theme music is by John Dillon. Our team includes producer and contributor Mel Baker and assistant producer Liana Wilcox. KSFP is a project of the San Francisco Public Press, a nonprofit investigative newsroom. Find our reporting at sfpublicpress.org. 